today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. Peptides typically are administered by subcutaneous injection. Why? Because a peptide is a small protein. When we eat a small protein, what does our body do with it? It digests it. For whatever reason, BPC-157, because it is naturally occurring in the gut, it is structured in such a way that it doesn't get broken down. It doesn't get digested when we take it orally, or at least not at the same rate as another protein. To your point, it can be used orally. It can be taken as a pill. Typically, we would take it as a pill more to for gut issues. It is incredible at healing. It really has incredible properties for gut healing. Hello, hello. I'm your host for today, Dr. Carrie Jones, and I am beyond thrilled to be talking about a topic that's taken the anti-aging and biohacking world by storm. And that, of course, are peptides and bioregulators with none other than Natalie Nidham. Now, don't roll your eyes because this area of medicine has really piqued my own interest because of their body-wide effects. Nat is a certified holistic nutritionist, an epigenetic coach, and a member of the first class of the Human Potential Training Institute. She gives us, like I would say, a Peptides 101, as we have them in our body already, like insulin or glutathione. But she also walks us through the most popular kinds. We even touch on the topic of semaglutide. As surprise, it's a peptide. Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course, are supplements. There is a lot of confusion around supplements and you only wanna take the best quality that uses top tier certified manufacturers and most importantly, do third party independent testing to make sure what's on the label is in the capsule. That's why I've teamed up with New Ethics Formulations as their chief medical officer. The team already had a strong history in the supplement world, but started the company to really focus on bettering your health and helping to enhance your physique or performance goals. I'm excited to help them continue to focus on the endocrine system and hormones as it relates to glucose, thyroid, estrogen, and even your gut microbiome. Right now, you can get 20% off one order using code DRJONES20 at newethics.com. That's drjones20 at newethics.com today. Now, let's get on with the show. Natalie, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I am beyond excited because peptides and bioregulators have really hit the market with a lot of fanfare and excitement and biohacking. <laughs> and there's so many questions around them that we just can't ignore it anymore. It's not for the elite. It's not just for the biohacker. I think they're definitely here to stay and they're really going to make their way into mainstream medicine. I'm psyched to have you on to answer all those 101 questions of what is a peptide? <laughs> what is a bioregulator? Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. And it's always fun spending time with you. It's a double whammy. I know. <laughs> I know. I wish we weren't so far apart. We could just hang out with tea and our smoothies and really do this podcast in live person. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I think we're going to get to hang out in person soon anyway. We'll figure it out. I think so too. I think so too. Before we get started, I do want you to just give a little background on yourself. How did you even get into this in the first place? Yeah, it's a good question. Basically, I studied physiology way back in the day when I was in university, which is what us Canadians call college. But then I spent most of my adult life in a corporate job. I was a fitness instructor. I always kept my hand in this 
health space. And then about, I want to say 11, 12 years ago, I woke up one morning and decided I was going back to school and I was going to become a nutritionist. I was done with the corporate thing. I'd been reading a lot about the paleo diet at the time and this biohacking thing that this guy, Dave Asprey, was talking about. And I think what happened was I was reading a book on the paleo diet and I'm going to my chiropractor. I'm like, did you hear about this and this and this? And then meanwhile, he's downloading the information to his other patients. And he comes in one day, he goes, you know what, Nan, I've been talking to my one patient about what you're talking about and he's lost 10 pounds. You should actually get, be getting paid to do this. And it's like a little light bulb went off in my head and I went, oh my God, what a great idea. Within a week, I was signed up in a full-time in-class nutrition program in Toronto. And I figured out very quickly after becoming a nutritionist that just telling people what to do actually wasn't enough. Not to mention the fact that what they taught me in school was great. And to their credit, they said to us, once you graduate from here is when the learning really begins, which was really such a smart thing, right? Because it's real life, it's real life experience that's really going to teach you more and send you into the world of it's having that foundation of knowledge. About a year later, I was like, yeah, being a nutritionist is fine, but it's like missing something. And that's when Dave Asprey decided to launch his Bulletproof Coach Training Program. And again, I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit of an impulsive person. I may or may not in 24 hours have hit buy and instantly said, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> I don't want to just learn about the Bulletproof diet. It turns out it was a 10-month super intense course really on everything from the psychology of happiness to helping. It was a really good coaching program, which I really, at that time, is what I needed in my toolkit. And then I got interested in epigenetics and all this stuff. And then fast forward, I'm at a conference. I needed to take a load off because I don't know about you, but I go to conferences. I go to very few talks. I spend my entire time in the exhibit hall talking to all the exhibitors because that's where all the new stuff is. And I'm sitting down and this guy is talking and he's like, yeah, and I look really tanned, but I actually haven't sat in the sun. I just took a shot. And from the shot, I got a tan. And I was like, what's he talking about? I should clarify, everyone, a needle shot, not an alcohol shot. Yeah, no, exactly. Like a needle shot. And it caught my attention. And then he kept talking. And then he puts up a slide about this stuff called epitalon and how it lengthens telomeres. And some guy did a study on elderly people and they had better bone density and they lived longer and they didn't die like the people that didn't get the epitalon and they had a better sense of well-being and their hormone balancing, their immune system was better. And I tapped the shoulder of the guy in front of me. I'm like, is this guy for real? He goes, oh dude, this is the future. It turns out he was a compound pharmacy owner. That was my introduction to peptides. And I remember coming home, talking to my husband about it. And he's like, nah, the last thing you need is something new. Seriously, he says, you have this shiny object syndrome problem this has to stop. You need to just focus on one thing. And I was like, okay, he's probably right. And I tried, but it was like a traction beam from Star Trek. I literally couldn't stay away. The next thing you know, I started a Facebook community. Then I found a course. And then I started listening to other people's podcasts. And then I thought, okay, how am I going to get other people who know more about peptides than me to talk to me about peptides? I'm like, all right, I'll start a podcast too. <laughs> and next thing I've got this podcast now that's four, almost four years old got a Facebook community that's almost 20,000 people. And I've just been buried in the world of peptides for the last four years. Which is amazing. And what's so funny is that the other day I was talking to my conventional doctor and I mentioned peptides and she goes, ooh, no, that's not, be very careful with those. We do, peptides are bad. And she just had this very negative approach to it. And I said, no disrespect, but I hope you realize things like oxytocin and glutathione are considered peptides in the body. And she was like, oh, oh. And insulin. Let's not forget insulin. 
<laughs> anti-insulin, the big one. And she was like, oh, okay. I guess I never thought of it that way. I said, sure. There's a gamut. There's a spectrum of peptides, but one, they're already in the body. And two, they're here to stay. We should probably learn about it, which is why I'm having you on today. Having said that, what is a peptide? <laughs> ah, great question. Perfect question to start with. Peptides, a small protein. It's defined as a protein that's 50 amino acids or less. What are amino acids? I have a girlfriend staying with me right now. She's like, you know what, Nat, your podcast is great, but half of it is Greek. I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, your audience may be a little more educated than she is, but if somebody doesn't know, an amino acid is essentially a building block of protein. We had to break down our body. We would be like a mountain of amino acids. And then how those amino acids get arranged into proteins determines what action they perform in the body. A peptide is just a small amino acid. It's 50, it's a chain of 50 amino acids or less. And peptides, which are proteins, it's all about how they're folded. It's how they're arranged because then they will fit into a receptor to initiate a cascade. They will act like a hormone, whatever the case may be. They will initiate processes in the body. Which is amazing. I heard an analogy once, and I wish I could remember who said it, that amino acids are kind of like Legos. They're building blocks. Was that you? Oh, that was you. I don't know. I oh. do use that analogy. It may not be <laughs> just my own. I think of them as the ones. In Legos, you get the little ones and then you need, that's what an amino acid is. And then you can build something great, which is big, which is not considered a peptide, or you can build something smaller to fit into your great thing. And that's a peptide. And I thought that's the best analogy, the little ones. Okay, just as an example... And then we're going to get into specific peptides. And I really want to touch on bioregulators as well. What can peptides do? If somebody's listening to this going, how would I even know to look this up or to talk to my practitioner about it or join your Facebook group? How do I even know I need a peptide? What are some things people see you for? Number one, part of the what is a peptide conversation is we have peptides in our body all the time. Insulin, super important compound, we will all agree, is a peptide. Oxytocin, as you mentioned before we started recording, is a peptide. We have, I would say, all of the, pretty much, there's now people starting to make hybrid peptides, but let's say the principal peptides that you might hear or read about right now are fragments of proteins that are naturally occurring in your body. For example, one of the ones, now I will start by apologizing to everybody because whoever's in charge of nomenclature for peptides really needs a new job. It's the same in hormones. But at least hormones actually, there's estrogen and estriol and estradiol and testosterone. They have names. Peptides, because they're considered research chemicals, which I think is an important thing to mention, for the most part, they are considered research chemicals because they just haven't gone through the kind of clinical trials and double-blind placebo studies on humans that we're accustomed to seeing drugs go through. But for example, BPC-157, which is body protective compound 157 is a peptide that is naturally occurring in the gastric juice in our own guts. And this peptide has been isolated. A lot of research was done on it in, I want to say Croatia. I think it was Croatia. There was a bunch of scientists over there that did a bunch of trials and they even did research on people. The problem was they did their research on people before they did their research on the rats. They were never actually allowed to publish their research on people, <laughs> which is there's that whole ethics business, which is a thing. But BPC-157 is, I like to call it the Swiss army knife of peptides. Because when we search the literature on what BPC-157 can do, we will come across studies on gut health, gut repair, 
musculoskeletal injuries, like healing of musculoskeletal injuries. So that's like a pulled muscle, even broken bones. It has effects for the brain, for the nervous system. It can mitigate the negative effects of steroids, like corticosteroids on the body. It can protect to a degree and heal from NSAIDs, alcohol poisoning. It helps people get off certain addictive compounds. It's organoprotective. It protects organs for the pancreas or the liver or the lungs or the kidneys. It used in certain applications, it seems to be helpful in modulating blood pressure. There's almost nothing, no body part that this compound doesn't seem to positively affect. Oh yeah, if you apply it topically, it's incredible for wound healing and for burns. It can be compounded into eye drops for eyes. It's a thing. That's my next question. Before everybody runs out or jumps on the internet to search BPC-157, there are ways it comes in as well. You can take it orally as a pill. It can be an injection. It can be a cream. But also quality counts. Like be careful of 100%. what's out there. And if and swallowing it versus injecting it is definitely two different applications in the body. Pretty much. That's a really good point. Peptides typically are administered by subcutaneous injection. Why? Because a peptide is a small protein. When we eat a small protein, what does our body do with it? It digests it. For whatever reason, BPC-157, because it is naturally occurring in the gut, it is structured in such a way that it doesn't get broken down. It doesn't get digested when we take it orally, or at least not at the same rate as another protein. To your point, it can be used orally. It can be taken as a pill. Typically, we would take it as a pill more to for gut issues. It is incredible at healing. It really has incredible properties for gut healing. And when I talk about the gut, I'm also talking about the GI tract, everything from your mouth to your bum. There's some really interesting studies on poor little animals where they created anal fissures on these poor little animals, but this stuff healed it. And these are notoriously difficult wounds to heal. But BPC can be used topically, compounded into a cream, I actually had the injectable and I had a small surgery and I wanted to help my wound heal. And I used a few different peptides, but BPC was one of them. And I would just drop little drops of it onto the wound. But it can also be used in eye drops and obviously by subcutaneous injection. I'm trying to think, it might even have intranasal applications as well, which is interesting because it's a fairly large compound, but it always has to do with the molecular weight. Typically, if it's under 400 Daltons, I know this is Greek again, I'm sorry. <laughs> but if it's a certain size, let's say, it will be able to get across the mucous membranes and skin to a degree. But I wouldn't say that you can't apply BPC-157 to your hand and expect it to do much. Let's mention the one that you said earlier, the epitalon or epitalon, because I'm hearing that a lot also. And as someone who would also works very heavily in the world of hormones, that's a popular one. It comes up. That I'm seeing. A hundred percent. And so epitalon is part of the family of something you mentioned earlier, which are bioregulator peptides. Bioregulator peptides are essentially a subset of peptides that are only now two to four amino acids long. That means we only have two, three, or four of the Lego ones arranged in a magical formation because don't think these are linear. They're not. There's a whole 3D aspect to them. There's bonds. There's polarity. There's all kinds of things. But these teeny tiny little itty bitty peptides, <laughs> highly technical terms, have the ability to cross the cellular membrane, to cross into the nucleus of the cell. And in the nucleus of the cell, pretty much every one of your cells has this heart 
And inside this nucleus, there is your DNA, that genetic material. What Epitalon and all the other bioregulators are able to do is bind to the DNA and get that DNA to produce proteins and basically flip genes on and off. We refer to bioregulator peptides really as epigenetic switches. Many of us by now have probably heard of epigenetics. And epigenetics is what is it that is going to influence the expression of our genes in our body? It can be something inside like chronic stress we know affects how our genes express, but things from the outside, from the environment also. And these bioregulator peptides, which we do produce in our own bodies, but we produce less of them as we age, have that effect on our genes. When you look at the family of bioregulator peptides, there are 21 of them that have been isolated and that are commercially available. There are many more. We just haven't, they haven't been commercialized and talked about as much. But each one is essentially associated with a different organ or tissue. For example, epitalon, which you just brought up, which some people say epitalon or epitalon. I have my own pronunciation of things. It has other names too, which on the peptide side, it's alphabet soup, BPC-157, thymosin beta-4, thymosin alpha-1, the whole thing. On the bioregulator side, we have now IKEA. We have <laughs> epitalon, <laughs> which can also be epithalamin or endolutin, depending on which form you're talking about. The bioregulator peptides can come as synthetics, which is essentially when the scientists have been able to isolate that exact amino acid sequence that seems to be doing the lion's share of the work from the extract of the tissue gland or organ, which they're getting from animals, either from beef or from sometimes from sheep, occasionally from pigs. They've done an extract of the pineal gland, which is what epitalon is from, and they've isolated that exact peptide. And they can now synthesize it in a lab. That is the synthetic version of the bioregulator. It can be applied either by subcutaneous injection or it is now available as sublingual drops or sprays. So much easier to take. Obviously, more expensive. The most cost-effective way is by subcutaneous injection, but not everybody is interested in going through that, which I totally get. We have options. Endolutin is the actual extract that comes as a capsule. Now we have pineal gland extract that's been purified and basically concentrated, and you can take it as a capsule. You can take it orally. Epithalamin is the extract from the pineal gland. This is a form that is actually not readily available outside of Russia, really, because this is a preparation that is an actual extract from the gland that has been prepared for intramuscular injections. That's the universe of, and that's just one. And there's 21 of them. (laughs) We could be here and have breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. (laughs) We'd still be talking. To learn about peptides. I do want to ask, how are they different than glandulars? People have taken adrenal glandular, ovarian glandular. And I get this question also. Gary, I take adrenal glandular for my adrenals. How is it different? It's a great question. And I technically can't tell you how it's different, but I can tell you how they work differently. With, a, for example, a thyroid glandular or an adrenal glandular, you're not typically going to give that to someone who's in a hyper state. You will use those for people who are in a hypo, underperforming thyroid, underperforming adrenals. With the bioregulator, you can give the adrenal or the thyroid bioregulator to either a hypo or hyperthyroid person or hypo hyperadrenal person. And what the bioregulator works to do is to restore homeostasis. 
It brings back balance. So it's not going to push anyone into overdrive. I'm sure what it has to do is that purification process. They've excluded certain elements that you would find in the glandular. Makes sense. Yeah. At the same time, the oral bioregulators in epithalamin do contain cofactors that mean that these versions sometimes take a little longer to kick in, but the effects seem to last longer. Whereas the synthetic seems to take effect faster, but the effects don't seem to last quite as long. Okay. All right. Now let's go back to some of those peptides you mentioned, thymus and beta-4. Even The other day, a friend of mine pulled a muscle. They were suggesting KPV. And I thought, I'm going to have Nat in the podcast and ask her these questions. <laughs> what is KPV? Yeah. <laughs> what is thymus and beta-4? KPV, it's interesting. I would say that for a pulled muscle, it wouldn't be my first choice. KPV is very good to manage inflammation. And it's very powerful for gut inflammation, but it seems to have effects systemically as well. It's a fragment, if you will. It's actually a three amino acid peptide. It's a tiny little peptide that is an extract of, remember at the beginning of the podcast, I talked about the guy who talked about how he was tanned, but he hadn't sat in the sun. Melanotan is an alpha MSH peptide. You don't need to know this guy, the alpha MSH part, but I'm just giving that to Carrie because she would know and be interested in that. But Melanotan is a peptide that has the nickname of the Barbie doll peptide because weightlifters, bodybuilders, and really bodybuilders who are, if you think about it, the ultimate biohackers, these are people that have been manipulating their bodies in any which way they can forever. And these are people who've been using peptides in some way, shape, or form for a couple of decades. These guys are, they're sitting on the sidelines going, yeah, old news. But melanotan is a really interesting peptide that will upregulate the production of melanin. It'll give you a tan without having to go sit in the sun. Word of warning, the first thing that'll come up is your freckles. You have to be able to deal with freckles and even sun damage coming up before what I call the background catching up kind of thing. And you have to be careful because if you're not watching carefully, you could end up looking like you just got dipped in dye. Like you can get really dark. And it can also, in redheads, it can change their hair color. Really? To much darker. Yeah. Yeah, if they use it for a really long time. Now, it's interesting because melanotan also has skin protective effects because of that melanin expression. It helps to thicken the skin, but it also has anti-inflammatory effects. It also affects the hunger centers. If you use too much, it can make people nauseous, but there's another fragment of it called set melanotide, which can be used for fat loss for people who have a certain variant on their POMC gene. But another fragment is KPV. And one of the things that we talk about with melanotan is it has antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory effects. KPV seems is the one that hones in on those. For your friend with the injury, I would say typically for a muscle injury, you would more readily go move towards a BPC-157 and or a thymus and beta-4 because these are both repair peptides. They will help the body to repair. What we will sometimes do if somebody has low growth hormone expression, because sometimes as we get older, if we're stressed or sick or whatever the case may be, there's another category of peptides called growth hormone secretagogues that essentially coax the body into making more of its own growth hormone. And one of the things that BPC-157 does is it increases the expression of growth hormone receptors. Imagine that you are sending more growth hormone out from the brain, and now your receptors of growth hormone are more visible or more easier to find. And growth hormone, we know, help to repair, help repair processes in the body. What we're really doing here is we're pushing the body to say, to really ramp up those repair processes. We know that for the most part, people will heal over time. 
This seems to speed it up. Okay. All right. Now talk about thymus and beta-4 then. Yeah, TB4. I'm not as sweet on TB4 only because I'm allergic to it. Oh. <laughs> Having said that, it's an incredible peptide. It's bigger than BPC-157 is 19 amino acids long. Thymus and beta-4 is 43 amino acids long. And imagine that it has seven different docking sites. People have now started to take TB4 and they break off fragments because each fragment is going to have different applications. So you've got a fragment that's very antifibrotic. I use that fragment topically on my scar because to help to reduce on my wound, to reduce the scarring, right? You've got another fragment that has really solid research behind it around cardiac health and helping the heart to heal. The tricky thing with thymus and beta-4, and one of the reasons why I can't use it, is it also has one of those fragments is actually a mast cell destabilizer. And I don't consider myself to have mast cell issues, but any of us who have some kind of mast cell issue or a little bit of histamine stuff going on, it shows up as hives and an immune response, which is not pleasant. Interesting. Good to know. Okay. And then what's the fragment for the scar tissue? Because I know people are going to write in and go, that's me. I'm pretty sure that's one to four. That's okay. the one to four fragment. The other peptide that's actually fantastic for helping with scarring, and this is one that is much more readily available also in topicals, is the copper peptides. G-H-K-C-U. C-U is the symbol for copper. G-H-K is the actual peptide. That peptide, G-H-K, requires C-U for activation, copper for activation. This is, again, this is a three amino acid peptide. It can be used topically. Having said that, even for topical applications, it's a good idea to disrupt the skin barrier, whether it's with some kind of exfoliation or microneedling, which you're not going to microneedle every day because that would be a really bad idea. But for people who are, there's chemical exfoliants or physical exfoliants, you want to disrupt that skin barrier to allow the penetration of the GHK copper peptide. I used GHK even with, I think I used with the copper actually, and I dropped that on my wound as well. You have to be careful doing those things. This was a tiny little wound. It wasn't a big deal. This was a cosmetic procedure. I don't want anybody running around thinking, okay, I'm having massive surgery. I'm just going to pour peptides on. You got to be sterile and all those things. Be mindful of that. But the GHK peptide is fascinating. It was studied I think it was Stanford University, and they found that it basically affects over a thousand genes. It flips on youth genes. It flips down old age genes. It is phenomenal. It is being studied 27 ways to Sunday. I have people in my community who will do subcutaneous injections of GHK. Now, just to be clear, none of this stuff is approved by the FDA. Yeah. I just want to be very clear with people that these compounds, not so much the bioregulators, but definitely the other peptides, for the most part, are considered research chemicals by the FDA. And there's a bit of trouble brewing on the horizon around this stuff because what's happening is you've got a lot of people who are hearing about it, a lot of people who are very sick, who are getting incredible results with these things. It's getting harder to find them. The FDA is coming down hard on compounding pharmacies. There's a research lab that just recently got shut down. There's a bit of a brawl, I think, brewing out there. And at the same time, you've got pharma companies who are really taking note here. And some of the most remarkable compounds that have been released lately that have gotten the most attention are actually peptides. And those would be, onto your hats here, girls, 
and men, semaglutide and terzepatide, otherwise known as Zozempic and Munjaro. And these are peptides that pharmaceutical companies have basically taken. They've modified them so that they can patent them and so that they do what they do. And what they do is pretty remarkable. I think that's important for people to realize when we talk about semaglutide and Ozempic, semaglutide is the peptide, but pharmaceutical, you can't patent something. You can't patent vitamin C, but you can patent some, if you alter it, if you add coloring to it, your stabilizer that's specific, you can patent the formulation, but the literal vitamin C is that you can't. Semaglutide is a peptide. Peptides you can't necessarily patent because we have them in our body. Yeah, but they did something to the peptide. That's what I mean. Yes. Yeah. What they yeah. did is they made it into a pharmaceutical weight loss medication and patented it as Ozempic as an example. Yeah. I mean, they basically took this GLP-1, which is something that we secrete in our gut when we eat, but it's only there for a couple minutes and it's gone. What they said, but when the scientists were studying it, they were like, wow, this stuff does amazing things. It stimulates the pancreas to release insulin. It seems to have an effect on the brain around satiety. And when they started studying it, it had an effect on little mouse brains about hunger and food drive and food reward and increasing resting metabolic rate. And they started to get skinny, but it's not there long enough. Actually, they weren't getting skinny yet because it gets degraded by an enzyme called DPP4 almost instantly. Somebody figured out, hold on a second, what if we could neutralize DPP4? And I think that was actually... DPP-4 blockers was one of the first things that they tried as a weight loss drug and they never worked. But when they figured out how to make the GLP-1 resistant to DPP-4 degradation, which I think has something to do with the Gila monster toxin, now all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, we can make this stuff last a week. Holy jumping. Now we're onto something. That's why, honestly, they've earned the patent. They did the work. They didn't just take something and dress it up differently and send it out into the world, they would have spent a bajillion dollars on these things to modify them. I think they earned their stripes on this one for sure. It's getting, I'm sure we hear amazing stories and horrible stories in the world about Ozempic and Munjero. And I don't know if you want to get into that, but I'm going to let you decide. <laughs> <laughs> and I think and this is a Peptides 101 podcast. Obviously, I'll have to have you on for the next level as people come in with a lot of questions. But I think that's a really good point to make that Maybe you have friends or family or you've seen Hollywood who've jumped on Ozempic or maybe you yourself are listening to this and it's made a world of difference for you and that's absolutely wonderful and I'm so glad for it. But there is a whole group of people where it has, like anything, it has caused a lot of trouble. There's been a ton of side effects. Nothing is a miracle. Drug, herb, nutrient, vitamin, nothing. There's pros and cons to everything. I think that's important to just point out. Yeah, and I think with these medications like Ozempic and Munjaro, you're talking about a class of medications that essentially make it really easy not to eat. That's awesome. Except for the part that food is somewhat necessary. Nutrients, micronutrients are necessary. I think one of the things that's happened that's really unfortunate is that it's become the go-to. It's become the easiest thing for a doctor to write a prescription for the right person and say, take this. It's going to regulate your blood sugar. It's going to help with your blood sugar and you're going to lose weight. And it's amazing. Except that if that person doesn't get nutrition coaching, if that person doesn't get coached on, you got to exercise. Because if you don't exercise, you're going to lose your muscle. And if you lose your muscle mass, guess what? 
number one, you're going to be weak. Number two, it's going to be harder for your body to regulate your blood sugar because we know that muscles is the best tool that we have to regulate blood sugar in the body. But number three, you're going to look like shit after a period of time. (laughs) Because you know what? Skinny with no muscle doesn't look quite as good as having muscle and weighing a little bit more. Number four, we're seeing people get obsessed about the number on the scale. I'm like, pull out a tape measure. If you're exercising, eating protein and losing weight, the number on the scale may not change that much, but your clothes will start to look, feel different. We all need to understand, to your point, there's no free lunch. You still have to do the work. We're going to have to take extra care for the pancreas because the pancreas does seem to have to work a little harder. And we're starting to see people having issues with the pancreas. Maybe we've got, there's now some report of gastroparesis, which is a paralysis of the stomach. I'm not sure how much clarity there is on why that's happening and why it's happening in some people, but we need to pay attention and we need to make sure that if people are going to use these compounds, they're also getting holistic support on the rest of their health so that they're doing it properly. I have people on who reach out to me and say, I'm so frustrated, I'm not losing enough weight. And I'm like, how much are you losing? I lost only four pounds last month. I'm like, you lost a pound a week. Your body needs time to adapt, to release weight, to rebuild tissue. You need to give your body time. Losing 20 pounds in a month is not gonna be a good idea under any circumstances. We have to take a deep breath. We have to do our homework. We have to get good guidance and love your body. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I'm so glad you said, I think that's really well said. The short-term users of, let's say, Ozempic or semaglutide or something, even the long-term, it's more the short-term that I see where they stop. They have not gotten any holistic. Unfortunately, it was just handed to them as quick and you lose 20 pounds, let's say max. And they went on it, lost their 20 pounds. They're thrilled, but didn't get any of the coaching And let's say some people I know have food addiction issues. Nobody coached them through that. Nobody talked to them through that. And they've said to me, I gained all my weight back because I went off, my hunger came back. I was ravenous and I started eating again and started gaining weight. Or I agree with you. I feel holistic. The people who seem to have the most success get that holistic. Their doctor has them see a coach, somebody. Mm -hmm. They're working on muscle building because we all know it. Muscle loss is one of the things that can happen with it if you let it. I love that you said that. Yeah. And it can with anybody who loses a lot of weight. Could it? Yeah. Will lose muscle. You're going to lose some muscle. But if you work on your muscle, you're not going to lose a lot of it. And big muscles, unless you're a bodybuilder, are overrated anyways. But you need lean muscle mass. You need it for a whole bunch of reasons. But I also think what happens is people become depleted at a micronutrient level. That's why I drink my swamp water. (laughs) Not that I'm using, I'm not actually using any of them right now. I have used semaglutide and terzeptide in the past, but you can become very depleted because you're just not hungry. And the human body is wildly resourceful. It'll figure it out. But you know what? The minute you take away that thing that suppresses your appetite and that food reward center, rest your body goes on high alert and goes... Time to fill, refill, girls, and just go. It's not particularly, it's not going to say, hey, those blueberries is what we need. It's just, I need food. And to your point, if you haven't addressed poor eating habits, messed up taste buds that are calibrated to junk food in the whole nine yards, those cravings are going to come back like a freight train. And we see people who have very little control over what they're eating and the rebound effect can be pretty impressive. And we read about it. My patients tell me who've done it with their doctor. I have friends who've done it and 
you see it online and in the groups of people, tons of success, they're so happy for them, hit their goal, and then unfortunately get some of those side effects. And to put that information out there in an educated manner only helps people. Somebody's listening to this thinking, I'm going to ask my practitioner about Ozempic or I'm on it right now. Oh my gosh, nobody talked to me about any of this. This is a really good point. Or I'm planning to wean off or go off. I've hit my goal weight. I'm not doing it forever. I know some people plan to do it. It's a forever medication and others are just doing it temporarily. Having this education, they, you can be really prepared and succeed versus maybe start stumbling backwards, which we don't want. Yeah, 100%. Love it. Love it. Okay, the time we have left, I do want to know, given you're the peptide queen, <laughs> and this is very personal, this doesn't mean it's for everybody, what are your three favorites? Or what are your five go-tos? Your three go-tos. Love that you gave me five. Oh my God, five's amazing. <laughs> I, I know, I realized I was like, three might not be enough. See, that might be a struggle. It's interesting. I think on the bioregulator side, if I only had one, it would be a pitalon. It would be the pineal gland bioregulator. And I don't think we ever talked about what it actually does. I'll just give you a very quick snapshot now. It helps to restore circadian rhythm. It helps to normalize melatonin production, which on a downstream effect, we can do a whole podcast on that. It helps to restore telomere length. So it protects telomeres from getting too short. And out of Carrie's world, it is the master endocrine regulator. So it doesn't mean that if you use a pitalon, all of your hormones are going to magically fall into place and you're never going to have to take anything ever again. But from a top level down, it can help to restore balance to the endocrine system. One thing to know about the bioregulators is very often we will use them in stacks. For example, a woman who is in her cycling years and her cycle is kind of getting a little wonky, I have seen many women have reasonably good success with Epitalon and the ovarian bioregulator together. Sometimes if there's a lot of stress involved, we might add in the adrenal bioregulator or if the thyroid's getting involved, we might use the thyroid bioregulators. It's sitting back and looking, what are the systems involved in what we're trying to accomplish and how can we call on different bioregulators to help support the system? Epitalon on the bioregulator side is my 100%. The next one would be the thymus bioregulator because it's all about immunity. If we can have a healthy immune system and a good circadian rhythm, we're in a good place. On the peptide side, I'd have to say that the Swiss Army knife of peptides, BPC-157, is my constant companion. I always have it with me. I don't always use it. I don't use any of them all the time. But BPC-157 would be the one you'd have to pry out of my... <laughs> so we're going to try. And, and then the other one I would say is thymosin alpha-1, which is a peptide for the immune system. It is actually a drug, approved drug in 30 or 40 countries around the world. Unfortunately, in the US, it only has orphan drug status. It's only been approved for hepatitis B and C. The bad news is that it is very powerful. There are really interesting studies about it used with elderly people who are getting, and I don't want to get into a discussion about vaccines, but let's say somebody had a vaccine they wanted to get. The problem that elderly people have is they don't mount good enough immune response to the vaccine to get the benefit. Thymosin alpha-1 added as an adjuvant in that vaccine actually amps up their immune response and they get better protection from the vaccine. There were also some really interesting clinical trials done in hospitals over the last few years with a certain really ugly bug that was decimating people that showed that thymosin alpha-1 could save people's lives. It's really great for autoimmune conditions. It's a pretty powerful peptide. I'm hopeful 
that instead of continually trying to pull it off the shelves, what seems to be the program at the moment, that at some point people will come to their senses and start to think about making it more available through physicians to be able to avail themselves of. Because what I think is most incredible about all of these things we're talking about here, whether it's the peptides or the bioregulators, is these are compounds that help the body to do what the body does best. If you can give your body a stimulus to produce more of its own growth hormone instead of administering exogenous growth hormone, which is ultimately going to stymie your own growth hormone production, that would seem to be a little safer. Now, it's never going to produce the same strength of reaction as exogenous growth hormone, but that's because the exogenous growth hormone can basically override your own systems. If you're looking for super physiologic growth hormone levels, which I would argue are probably not a good idea, but if you are, those growth hormone secretagogues are not particularly going to do it for you. You're going to have to work with a doctor on growth hormone supplementation. And again, I'm going to repeat, these are not approved. You want to do your homework, do your due diligence. There are situations where you're never going to want to stimulate growth hormones. If somebody's dealing with any kind of cancer, adding more growth hormone into the mix artificially is the last thing you want to do. We want people to get educated. It's a fascinating space. I do think it's changing medicine in the functional medicine space, and hopefully it will revolutionize medicine even in the conventional space eventually, and hopefully not too long. Oh my gosh, I so agree. Having said that, where can people find you? Because I know there are about to be a billion questions. There are about to be people who are saying, this sounds like something in the arena I need, but how would I know? How would I get educated? Give us all the details. You can find me at natnidham.com. That's my website. <laughs> and that's where there's a tab at the top that is the BSP community. That's my private membership community on Mighty Networks. If you join as an annual member, you actually get access to my peptide crash course. I haven't made it available outside of there yet for a bunch of reasons. The other way is I do have a Facebook group, which is quite big, extremely active. I'm not there as much as I used to be but that's the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group on Facebook. And then Instagram is Natalie Nidham. And then there's the podcast, the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. I've done a couple of solo episodes. I did one on peptides, one on bioregulators. I've committed to doing two solo episodes a month for the next four months. I'm not sure how many of them are going to be on peptides, but yeah. That's amazing. Please go listen to her podcast. I've listened to several of her podcasts. In fact, I was just on her podcast. Yes. And she has amazing guests. And like I said, I listen often. I have learned a lot. And I'm so glad to have you on here on the Root Cause Medicine podcast because I think people, again, we're just dipping our big toe into the area of peptides and bioregulators. Just as you said, it is really growing in our field. I hope it really crosses over more into conventional medicine, I hope the science, I should say the research, really starts to grow. I hope best intentions, the FDA thinks positively. Thank you again a million times over for being on and teaching us all this today. We will link everything you said in the show notes. I just appreciate it. You're a joy to talk to and we'll have you on again for a part two. Thank you so much, Carrie. I so enjoy speaking with you and thank you for having me. This has been great. my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. 
You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.